Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome back to Author News Weekly. I'm Ari McGee. Thanks for joining us this week. We got plenty of great stuff to talk about, but before we get started, let me introduce our panel. First off, we have uh, sitting somewhere at an undisclosed location in Colorado, uh, Mr. Jim Heskett. Hello. Welcome to the show. Excellent. And then up in the the the, the northern wilds, I think, <laughs> where she... Uh, resides in Russell's Bears from time to time. Uh, we have uh, Philippa Warner. Hello. Excellent. And then uh, the only one of us living in paradise uh, on a daily basis, uh, Mr. Nick Thacker. One man's paradise, one man, another man's uh, hell, I guess, right? Well, when you're as insulated as I am, humidity and heat is a terrible thing. So better than you than me, my friend. Uh, <laughs> Before we get started, I have a question that I want to ask you guys that relates to nothing, but it's been on my mind lately. Okay. Ooh, ooh, I'm the, question, the question is, and 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 you may recognize it, but it's from such a profound movie that it's really rung true in my soul. Mighty can can you actually just be whelmed? Is my question. Hmm. You can be overwhelmed. You can be underwhelmed. But when are you whelmed and when is it appropriate to be whelmed? I think it's appropriate at the same time that you can say, well, those were certainly all words. Mm. <laughs> just like, okay. I, I, I'm just whelmed by that. I, mm. Sort of the same, uh, the same ethos as, well, we could unpack all of that, but what if we just burned the suitcase instead? Mm. I think being whelmed is sort of like that hard to attain sweet spot in between drink number three and four where you're just the perfect amount of, you know, buzzed mm. and then it quickly, you quickly lose it. So like you can be whelmed, but it's very hard and it only lasts for a small amount of time. That's what she that said. Uh, hi, good times. Whelming. That's, <laughs> that's just, just wanted to get to the bottom of the whelming conundrum. So is that mind. like, that's the the Balmer peak then. Are you familiar with that as a I, I am uh, I am not. The Balmer peak is I think Steve Balmer. It's um it's the idea that there is a specific amount of buzz that is the correct amount for programming. Mm. Um and it's just it's very difficult to maintain. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. You know, my roommate and I used to have a thing where uh when we would play pool and we were both sober, I would demolish him 10 times out of 10. But as we drank, he got better and I got worse. And somewhere around beer six, it was the most even match you could have. And then after that, I just descended into madness. So the whelming. Yes, the whelming has well, occurred. Here, how about this? That is our news segment. And I am whelmed by that transition. So moving on to our first story. Uh, now, this, this is something that popped up not too long ago, and uh, you know I want to get your guys' take on it because we have uh, some folks in here who have used pen names and, and use pen names and things like that. Uh, this is Amazon outing authors' pen names. Uh, 
I got this story from uh, the Hidden Gems website. I think it was sent to me by one one of you three. And uh, essentially, long story short, Amazon ads sent out letters to people, uh, to their physical letters to their home addresses, uh, but in the name of their pen name instead of their real name. And so uh, I wanted to get your guys' take on that first and get warmed up and see uh, What's going on with that? Pippa, what do you think about that? I know you're a, a, an author of many pen names. Well, there are definitely ones. So uh, there have been different parts of my family that have said, oh, what's your, your romance pen name? And like, uh, you, you cannot know that. You, you cannot <laughs> know that. Um, but I agree with one of the sort of throwaway lines of this article, which is that there's literally no reason for this. Like, I, I can't understand why it would make sense for them to dig through all of the pen names and send out right. mail to that. Like, they know who's doing the publishing. Right, because ostensibly they're giving people their real paperwork and their tax info and their their yeah their real names, their legal names. Yeah, so that's the, that's the important thing. And it, it just seems like a lot of effort for a very baffling, like, I, I just don't get it. <laughs> mm. you and me both so I'm reading it now um, I guess what happened was somebody got sent physical mail to their pin name is that what happened is that what we're talking about someone yeah. sent sent a person physical mail in the name of their pin name to their real address oh okay so anyone yeah anyone like living with that author or mm-hmm. sharing or, or of course the USPS rarely makes mistakes, but potentially they could put it in the wrong mailbox um, or something like that. Right. And. Or just like, say you're, name. you're making income that you don't want someone to know about, or you're just yeah, very private. Yeah. You've got roommates or. Sure. Uh, yeah. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. Cause like, just like you said, it's, this is stupid. This should not have happened. Right. It doesn't really make sense. It almost, it's almost like it's on purpose for them to, you know. Well, the article says whether, you know, whether it was willful or a mistake, and there's, there's no reason they, Amazon would willfully do this. Obviously, this was a mistake. You know, obviously, on Amazon, there's a database somewhere for when, and your, your pen name is probably right, the line right after your real name in that database. It's probably some variable like F name and P name, and they just merged in the wrong thing when they sent the email. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. there's no conspiracy here. This was just no, no, a- no. Sorry, I didn't mean to imply conspiracy. I just mean it's like it's. I mean on purpose as far as like they didn't read the letter before they sent it out. Like they didn't double check. You know that there, there's one person clicking the the mail merge button and then delivering all the mail to like you know. I think it was well. Looking at the the content of the actual letter, it seems like it was purposefully sent to the pen name, but from someone who didn't really understand like they didn't it, not that it was a conspiracy it was just like oh this person's book has done x in the rankings we want to send them a letter to see if we can get them to invest in amazon ads what's the first name of the author mm. and that so they pulled from the wrong they purposefully pulled from what happened to be the wrong column because someone's brain just didn't connect where it needed to with okay, but the author name is not <laughs> yeah. the publisher here's, name. <laughs> here's the the throwaway line that I like best about this article. Um, they're calling into Amazon to complain, and it says 
quote, based on the variety of responses they heard based on multiple calls, it's clear that Amazon reps were unprepared to handle this issue, which in Author News Weekly uh, terms is the absolute least surprising thing I've ever read in my entire life. And you can quote me on that, everyone, because this is this is where I'm coming. Like, I don't have pin names. Um, I don't write it under a pin name. I probably never will. I get it, though. And, and, and you know, we honor that. But this isn't even about that to me. This is about Amazon's customer support being abysmal and it always has been and it always will be at this point and i specifically mean kindle kdp support because i feel like when i call as a customer and say hey you got me the wrong package they're like can we give you shares of our company can we give you amazon Prime for 20 years can we just <laughs> here just have have a free um knife set like just all kinds of ridiculous things that they'll go over and above for and then we get to the authors who support at least a, a certain percentage of their income. And it's like they don't even care to hire people who understand the own, their own system that they built for us. So yeah. rant over. But that's that's my take on this whole thing is Amazon sucks, water's wet. <laughs> well, I, w- I will say this about support teams. After I spent many years working in tech support for various software companies, and we were never once prepared to oh, handle a yeah. screw-up. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we never anticipated the dev team pushing out a bad release. That's not like what we counted on. But when it happened, we still had to deal with it either way, whether we and, were prepared uh, or not. Financial services uh, – call center on this end. And it was stuff like they would send out letters that were technically correct. Like a fund had changed names. And so they would send a letter to 10,000 customers and just be like, thank you for your sale of X. And the customers would all call and be like, I did not. What did you? You're like, oh. (laughs) I think with this article, the moral of the story for authors, the lesson for authors here is that if you can't trust any company to value your private information the same level you do. And so if if other people in your household finding out your pen name would be a very serious situation, then you need a P.O. box, you know? Right. You yeah. need a P.O. box, yeah, separate yeah, bank yeah. account, whatever it is to keep that stuff secret because you can't, you can't just trust Amazon is going to do it just because they said they would. Absolutely. Yeah, I use um, anytimemailbox.com because um, back when we were moving back and forth from Colorado to Hawaii, um, I, I needed a, like basically a P.O. box. But I hate the post office, um, as I've mentioned previously and will be likely to do later mm-hmm. in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and and they're, they're like 12 bucks a month, so they're not super cheap. But it is a great way uh, for anyone out there, like if, if you just need an easy um, solution, you essentially set it up on their website and it's, it's, they, they partner with like local – UPS stores or, or mail and ship kind of stores. Um, and so it's a perfect way to handle some, something like this where no one else has access to that, but you. Very good. Very good. And just as a point uh, of reference, if you're listening to this after the fact and you want to try to ensure this doesn't happen to you, uh, there's a link that we can post in the bottom that shows the, the setting that you can turn off. So allegedly uh, this won't happen to you in the future. Uh, but I think Nick and Jim probably have the right of it, and you should just make other arrangements. Okay, let's move on to the next the next story here, which, uh, interestingly enough, revolves around Amazon as well. And this one's kind of kind of weird. I don't I don't really know what to think about this. Uh, basically, the big byline is that Amazon has been hit with an ebook price fixing suit, um, and that the law firm that's <laughs> and that the law firm that sued uh, Apple and other publishers for colluding to fix ebook prices 
a decade ago, has now filed a class action suit against Amazon itself, uh, accusing the company of colluding with the big five publishers to restrain price competition in ebook in the ebook market. And so, uh, what's what's going on here? What's going on here, Nick? What do you think about this, man? What's going on with this uh, this price fixing and colluding? You know, man, I heard about this a couple weeks ago, and I've 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 not been very good at keeping up with with um, the details because I, I don't really have much interest in like the legal mumbo jumbo stuff. I don't understand it. And so I was kind of waiting to see if they get it further along when they can review. I know some of it's going to be wrapped up in court, right? So they can't really talk about our arbitration at least. But um, I guess my big question to you guys is like, is this conspiratorial in any way being the same, the same law firm that did it earlier? Like, are they, what's the right word? Um, predatory toward Amazon and that like they know that they're good for at least a payout to, to shut up. Is this kind of what this law firm does? Like, do they just keep going uh, after the, the guys that will pay them and, and tell them to shut up every time? Um, or do I you think there's actually some, some merit here? Well, I mean, they have a, the, I'm, I think there's merit to it. I don't know if there's legal merit to it. Most favored nation clauses are something that almost never works out in a consumer's favor in any industry and are something that is actually used in publishing specifically to disenfranchise people. So you see a version of it with um, when you're signed by traditional publishers uh, that they cannot give you any better terms because any better terms they give you, they already have built into other people's contracts that they have to give those people the best terms of any available. So that's why they're very sticky Mm -hmm. on um, any changes that they make. And so this is a similar sort of thing. It's something that comes up naturally in a market, but it, it's one of those uh, unregulated markets are not free markets. Unregulated markets keep coming up with things like this that keep markets from being free. And and the question is just if it's illegal or not, it's, there's definitely merit to it. Sure. Um, okay, that's fair. Yeah. But. <laughs> so the, the Sherman Antitrust Act is what these guys are all claiming. They're basically saying that Amazon is um, is anti-competitive because they want to set the price um, of, of eBooks. And I would say, yes, absolutely. The goal of a company in a capitalistic society is to control the market and in, in however you can. Mm-hmm. I'm not making a comment on whether that's right or wrong. Um, I'm just making a comment on, you know, it's, it seems like <laughs> it seems like if, if we wanted to be more competitive, our government maybe should go help the companies that aren't doing a whole lot to try to sell books very well. Like I think maybe they should just give Apple a bunch of money to build a better bookstore. <laughs> there's you know, I don't two know. things I think at work here. And one is that um, Amazon retains market dominance because it, yes, it, it has a large market share now. And so things that it does are disproportionately effective and, there's a, the question to be asked about should the largest competitor in any industry be held to a different standard than other people because certain similar actions have a disproportionate effect. But there's also the fact that from the beginning, Amazon has been a huge part of the market because they are so much easier to work with. Even when they're screwing authors over, it is still a bitch and a half comparatively to work with most other platforms. And I'm so, to think of the size of a bitch. That would be a bitch that. Like, is that that's a big bitch? That's a big bitch. That's a big bitch. Oh man! Hey, can somebody explain price fixing to me? Because I don't really understand what this what this means. 
so the idea is that these five um, publishers have agreed to Amazon that their price at Amazon will always be lower than it is at any other place is what the suit is alleging. So that anyone who shops anywhere else is then penalized for shopping at a different store because this publisher has agreed via, I think the alleged thing is Amazon's undue influence on the publisher that there is no better place ever to buy this book than there. And so then someone who doesn't have access to Amazon or whatever the case may be um, is now at a disadvantage, which should not be allowed. This kind of reminds me of, um, of a meme I saw the other day that was like, um, I don't understand the stock market. All I know is that when it goes up, nothing happens. But when it goes down, we all lose our jobs. And yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of what this feels like. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's like mom and dad are fighting and I don't really understand it, but I know that we're not going to come out of it better off than we were before. Hmm. Probably. Yeah. yeah it's. I, maybe, it, I don't yeah. know. I mean, Jim, this seems like it's with more of the, I mean, this is the big five publishers, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so it may not work out well for them. And I guess you could say indirectly, it might not work out for the, the self-published, the smaller authors um, down the, down the chain because more traditional published authors will go that route maybe because of this, but making it more competitive for us. But I don't know. I don't know that it's going to, do you think it'll affect us directly? I don't know. Someone? Honestly, it's just one of those things that's happening in the background and it's sort of this unceasing arms race of any large corporation is endlessly trying to get around regulations and, you know, come up with a way to ensure market dominance and people making the regulations are trying to stop them because monopolies are not good. Um, They just aren't. (laughs) <laughs> no, they're not. But and I, so we I find ourselves, some, you know, just on the sidelines. precedent for what a, a monopoly looks like and in, in Amazon isn't in, in, in anywhere near it. I mean, it's just not. Just by definition, like what the Congress has said a monopoly is in the anti-Sherman Sherman Antitrust <laughs> Act, Monop- uh, Amazon's not anywhere, anywhere near it. It does feel like that. And most people would probably disagree with what I just said, but that's just... It doesn't have it to be like, near it for its... Uh, I use... Monopoly as a sort of an asymptotic uh, approach. Sure. Yeah. A situation where that's what they're going for, and they are certainly in a position where the things they do. That's fair. Yeah. That's right. Amazon is the biggest, right? And so they are the easiest target for this kind of thing. Um, I guess. So the last thing I'll say on it, because I don't understand it again, the details. I I hate stuff like this. I love it because it's it's you know what's going to happen, you know. But I hate it because these things are always uh, inevitably pretty vague. Um, like I'm hoping <laughs> that some lawyer somewhere who's suing Amazon, um, has something better than I quote, stop enforcing anti-competitive price restraints. Like, what does that mean? Like, okay, so what do you want us to do? You know, dude, what you want? Okay. So, so they, somewhere there needs to be a definition of what an anti-competitive pricing restraint would be. And I don't know what that is. And so I'm kind of waiting to see what's going to be, um, what's going to come of that. But the, the quote that I love that I think is hilarious is right before that. It says among the relief requested, this suit seeks monetary reimbursement for consumers who purchased eBooks through Amazon's competitors. It would require Amazon and the publishers essentially 
to pay money to consumers who purchase books from someone besides Amazon. Yep. Because they got ripped off because the price fix was in. They had yeah. to pay more because the market's not actually free. Yeah. So basically Amazon made it so that you could never you could never uh help but lose money if you shopped at a competitor. Right. And so right. they're being what's being said is consumers were the ones that were left holding the short end of the stick. Hmm. Um, Very weird. So the store was forced to purchase it from somewhere else for more expensive? Not necessarily forced. Because they're free to shop wherever they want and they chose to pay a little bit more, knowing full well that there's a company called Amazon probably selling it for less. That starts to get into, is there a legal basis for the suit? Right. And that's where I'm coming. Like there's, so there's a philosophical um, component of like, well, I don't want to shop at Amazon. Well, that's great. You have the freedom to not shop at Amazon. Um, yeah. It's, it starts to get into more like it, you edge towards a whole bunch of things about where people are choosing to shop and why they're choosing to shop there and what, right. what options they actually do have. And so certain people may not have as many options as you would think. It's like, well, you know, Comcast isn't uh, nationwide a monopoly, but there are certain places where only Comcast is available and there isn't another internet competitor. So is it essentially monopolistic? And I think that's where we're butting up against. And if Amazon makes it impossible to for places to offer... They're essentially saying Hachette and Penguin and all of those only sell through us. So it is sort of a con on the other end for them to be like, well, this is a good. It's the same good. Yeah, I guess and it's, you're pretending it, you sell it, but you, you don't really sell it via Walmart. You only sell it via Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. But then that's weird because they're forcing you to go to them to get the cheaper price but it's the easiest available one. So it's almost like you have to work hard to go and spend more. I don't know. You know what? This broke my head. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Let's move on to something that's a little uh, easier to understand. And that is revenge reviews. So uh, we've got this story here. It's pretty interesting. Uh, I know how big of a fan a couple of you are of Goodreads. And <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I'm just teeing that I one like up. as much as I like Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teeing that one up. Uh, it looks like there have been uh, a, a number of authors who are being essentially blackmailed by scammers. And what the scammers do is they post multiple one-star reviews, which are often uh, exactly the same, same spelling errors and things like that. And then they contact the author and say, if you want us to take these reviews down, you got to do, you know, X, Y, Z, pay something or, or what have you. And it doesn't look like Goodreads uh, is doing much to stop this. You know, this person here says that someone uh, wanted $200 to fix it uh, and things like that. So, uh, you know, what, what, what do you guys think about that, man? Are, are we are we are we? Are we caring what happens on Goodreads? Are we negotiating with the review terrorists? What's happening here? Hmm. Well, part of the problem is that 
Amazon and Goodreads have this idea that the review is sacrosanct, you know, that like the review is unimpeachable and it, and it can't be taken down for any reason except for, I don't know, whatever arbitrary things they've decided. Um, so just to get any review removed, even for a legit reason, is super hard. So these scammers are definitely smart when it comes to that. But personally, I, if I was blackmailed on Goodreads, I wouldn't even know. So I have no idea because <laughs> no, I, I, yeah. I don't read my Goodreads messages. <laughs> I don't read my Goodreads reviews. So <laughs> Jim checking back in a month later, like, sorry, I don't look at this email very often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. One <laughs> star. Woo. <laughs> yeah. So go and ahead and just uh, reviews on Goodreads, right? They're not actually reviews on Amazon as well. No, because that, that 50, Amazon now has that $50, um, you have to spend That's 50 right. bucks a year to be able to use reviews. And from what I've heard that as much as people complain about that $50 year threshold, it seems to have effectively eliminated a right. lot of the, um, a lot of the untoward practices people were doing. I imagine it would. Yeah. I, I've never thankfully uh, knock on wood struggled from this kind of stuff, blackmail or whatever. Um, especially with reviews, but yeah, I don't, I'm with you, Jim. I'd be like, I, I could be getting blackmailed right now and I would not know it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know it's if I can 2 p.m. Do you know where your reviews are? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that maybe this is uh, kind of much ado about nothing. But if you do get caught up in the cycle, I think the best thing you could probably do is contact Goodreads and forward them your uh, terroristic threats. And uh, forward that, hopefully- and then go speak to some other authors who can just say, "Have a cup of tea or a yeah. stick break." Just just right on and so uh okay let's go to our next story here and this is actually uh something that came from book brush a while back and they said that they pulled some authors and that there were uh uh some commonalities with people who felt like they were being held back in their author career. And so, you know, I think we have a little bit of time left. I kind of want to throw a couple of these out to you guys because um, I think that as authors, we're all pretty seasoned and some of these things seem uh, a little remedial, but I remember what it was like to kind of not to kind of have some of these questions and not really know how to answer them. And so if you guys can shine the light of uh, experience on a few of these things, there may be some people who get something out of this. Uh, and so the first thing that they say that's holding people back that, you know, is kind of stopping people is uh, apparently a stigma that's still attached to self-publishing. Then the number one is uh, that they have to be traditionally published to be a quote unquote real author. And so I know that we've all had to consider that and deal with that at some point in our career. Uh, What do you guys do about the stigma and how do you get around it? Does it even affect you anymore at this point? It doesn't affect me. Um, I remember early on, my goal was to my first with my first book, you know, it was a gift for my dad. And my goal was to have a real book, but it didn't matter who published it or who didn't, you know, it was, I just wanted to have a hardcover that was real to me. That's what, that's how I defined it. And so I think this whole thing, this argument is, um, is just a, a clarifying definitions is what needs to happen. So to someone who says a, you know, real author, I think they need to ask themselves, well, what does real mean? Does it mean I'm making real money that I can spend on a real electric bill every month? Um, or is real, I, I need to be a real traditionally published author, meaning a traditional publishing company, 
like Hachette or whoever will publish it? Um, or like me, is it just a real book? I want to see a real, you know, hard copy or something um, or something else entirely. So it's just a definitions um, issue at this point. And so for you, for you, the, uh, the way to, to get that down was as long as you had a book in your hand, you felt like that was that what was you were definition. trying to achieve. Yeah, that was your exactly. Like, I like obviously this. I knew there was more to it than that. I, I, mm-hmm. I could have chosen to define it as I want to sell 500 copies of this book before I can call myself a real author. Sure. Um, but that wasn't, that wasn't my particular goal. It was just to have a real book that I could give to my dad wrapped up and under a tree, you know? And so I did. And then the next goal became write another book and, um, maybe, you know, try to sell more ebook copies or whatever, but that's, that's just it, right? Like it's a moving, it's usually a moving target because, um, we, we hopefully are challenging ourselves and growing as, as authors. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say, I think the thing that we generally don't ad- admit to as authors, which is that I am still very much affected by this. Uh, that I I do feel um, like it does get under my skin a lot. Um, one of the things definitely that uh, I remember reading books when I was younger and just looking up to these authors and knowing that if I were to be in an awards show with them, they would not look at me as an equal. And that, like, that does, that is annoying to me. Um, and at the same time, it doesn't change the facts that self-published authors are by and large producing work that is just as good, oftentimes Mm -hmm. better, that there's more flexibility, there's more, uh, that we're able to respond to things that readers are asking for that uh, maybe traditional publishers are unwilling to take a risk on. Um, And so I think it is by and large a better way to do justice to the stories that I'm writing. but yeah, there's definitely a trade-off there. And I think the the key thing for me is that everyone has that trade-off. I hear from traditionally published authors, you know, God, yes, I know that you self-published authors think that I'm so stupid for doing it traditionally because I don't get as much of the profits or, you know, whatever, whatever sector you're in, people are feeling this sort of other people look down on me and it's not comfortable and it's just something you got to work through and pick your best path despite. Oh, good. Yeah. The imposter mm. syndrome is real, right? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Always. <laughs> you know, but if you, if you normalized at a certain income level, say something really easy, like a thousand dollars a year, just to eliminate all the people who published one book and then never messed with it again. But if you, mm-hmm. if you normalized at a thousand dollars a year and then, and then interviewed every author on the planet, you'd probably find more traditional published authors still had day jobs than self-published authors. That's my theory. Say, Mm. okay, so wait, so if you had a thousand, what's the thousand dollars a year? You set the threshold at a thousand dollars a year. Like every author who makes at least a thousand dollars a year from their books, the traditionally published ones would be more likely or the same amount likely to have a day job as self-published authors making a minimum amount of money. Because Mm. a lot of people define real, quote unquote, real author by whether or not you still have a day job. And I don't think traditionally published authors are any less likely to have a day job than a self-published author. I would just say I have a day job. It's called being an author. (laughs) (laughs) A non-writing day job. (laughs) 
yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, that well, makes sense. Yeah. There's this idea in Stoicism called, called quiet confidence, and I feel like kind of more to to, to uh, Philippa's point. Like, I'm I've been in conferences before where I'm sitting next to pretty esteemed, um, traditionally published. I don't want to draw. I don't want to name any names. Um, authors and and they're great writers and their their books are good. Um, they're not you know s- um, stratospheric success stories. You know they're not like crazy you know household names, but people have heard of them and I'm obviously there's no way to actually know, but I'm pretty sure I make more money than them. I'm pretty sure that I have more reviews than they do that. Actually I do know, you know, I can, I I can figure (laughs) that out. Um, And this is, this isn't not an arrogance thing for me. It's, it's having the quiet confidence to know that like they think they're better than me or they've said something that seems to to say that they think they're better than self-published authors and they're, they're painting with a broad brush and all that, of course, um, because of, their traditional published success. And I can sit there and have the quiet confidence to know that's not true. You're not better than me or worse than me. You're, you're, you're just different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, if that's even anyone, anyone listening is, is in that same position, I hope that's helpful. Like just have the quiet confidence to know, even if you don't have the reviews or the sales that it's pretty damn hard to write a book in the first place. And, and so you've yeah. done that. That's something most humans have not done or never will do uh, or ever will do. And so, you know, that's something you can use is kind of put in your, in your quiet confidence bucket and just let that kind of be an assurance that, yeah, you doesn't matter. All this stuff is, is, is just talk, you know, just talk. And what you need to be focusing on is yeah. making the next book What's, better. And where's your mountain and are you moving yeah. closer toward it every day? Exactly. Yeah. That's very good stuff, guys. I was easy for my validation. I just wanted one review from someone who was not related to me. And that's, then I felt like, I had arrived and I still remember uh, the first time I logged on to Amazon and there was the one little <laughs> star on there and it was five stars and I read it and uh, you know, I, I got a little weepy on the inside and I got a little weepy <laughs> that someone read it and liked in the room. Yeah. And then once I, once I did that, I was like, Oh, well if there's one, then there's at least like 30 or 40. So I'm good to go. Everybody knows that one online anonymous review equals like 1 million real people. So yeah, I'm good, man. I'm ready to rock. My math checks out. I I still remember getting my first review on something from someone I didn't know. And it was on Smashwords. And so Smashwords sent me this email to say, there's a new review on your book. And I was riding home on the bus from my non-writing day job. And I went to go look and they had sent the email before it had updated on the public facing website. Mm. So there, I like, oh, I still no. couldn't see it. And I was just sitting there being yeah. like, no, I have to know. <laughs> Lied. Why are you lying to me right now? Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> that's funny. So that's good. I think I'm going to save, I got a few more of those, uh, but I think I'm going to save them uh, because I think we're coming pretty good on time here. I'm going to save those, talk about some of the things that new authors face or contend with, um, you know, going forward. Uh, but, Before we get out of here, uh, I would like to ask you guys what I want to ask you every week, which is after all this doom and gloom talking about the publishing industry, uh, who can tell me something good? What's one good thing going on in somebody's world right now? I would love to hear it. Come on. (laughs) Come on. Um, I have written some of the funniest work of my career over the past week and I am, I'm deeply enjoying it. So good. Good. I'm enjoying that. I was worried that you were trying to write something very serious. (laughs) 
Because that's that <laughs> often happens to me. I I just wrote the funniest thing I've ever written, and they're like, "Congratulations!" And I'm like, "It's it's supposed to be horror." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's right. well. Part of it is actually is honestly it is epic fantasy, and it's like hugely high stakes, and it's just one of the things that I'm trying to do in this book is just be like, okay, well, now we're at this like awkward moment where no one really knows what to say, and like there's armies everywhere. We're like, okay. Like, do you talk first? Do I talk first? (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love it. Diffuse the tension somewhere. That's good. That's good. Well, we'll all celebrate your uh, funny writing victory with you because Lord knows it's hard enough to do. It's hard enough to do. So, Um, yeah, I, uh, I have been planting grass in our, in our rocks um, out in, in the yard. Mm-hmm. Uh, we moved in. They they had to clear the the lot. There's these nasty trees that will um, will break, and you know, so they, they try to clear them out, and so they replace it with this what they call cinder, which is just lava rocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the entire acre is lava rocks, and so we tried to plant soil and uh, grass. And you would think that anything can grow in Hawaii, and you would be wrong because I'm in Hawaii now, and I. <laughs> Um, and so we put the grass down and it grew great for like uh, 10 minutes and then it got all yellow and weird. And so we were like, well, what the hell, man, you're in Hawaii. Like what, what, what do you need? And it was like food. And so I sprinkled some fertilizer on it finally in a moment of, of sheer wisdom. And like within 10 seconds later, it was like, oh my God, thank you. And now it's green again and it's growing like little, what do they call them? Little runners, little snakes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it looks like it's actually, uh, it's it gonna stay here and live with me for a little while, so I'm I'm pretty happy about the grass. And if if you're if you guys are old like me, you want all of a sudden understand that how, how important a yard is to a man. I mean, it's just you know it's something about it, right? It just makes me go. Mm-hmm. You need something <laughs> to gaze upon. <laughs> I did a man thing. What's really ironic about it um, yeah. is, and I'm glad my wife is at Target right now. Um, she did it all. She did all the work. <laughs> um, we we uh, we spread the soil together. Like a man. Plot just, twist. <laughs> yeah, plot <laughs> twist. I just get to look at it outside while she's doing all the toiling and laboring in the sun. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, all right, guys. Well, uh, if no one has anything else to add about something good or any of our topics, and it doesn't look like there's anything. Uh, with all that said, uh, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, I'm Ari McGee for all of us at Author News Weekly, and I uh, look forward to, uh, I don't know what I'm saying right now. What am I even <laughs> saying? What am I looking forward to? Uh, anyways. This meeting uh, is over. Yeah, this meeting is yeah. over. I think this meeting <laughs> is over. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody.